0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com/slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com/slash odyssey.
1: This is a Vault Studios production.
2: I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature
3: audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. When you're not incarcerated, you're out in the community. When you become seriously ill, you probably go to a doctor. You go to an ER. When we as society have decided that someone has lost the right to be in society for however long we become responsible for their care, that is what the Supreme Court has ruled, that these jails are responsible for the care of the people that are incarcerated there because these people cannot seek medical care on their own. And they need to provide medical care that is at least comparable to what you would be able to get Outside,
1: But what happens when inmates don't get that care? People that should be leaving the
2: jail in the same condition they came in, and instead of that, they're, they're dying.
4: Felt like I had witnessed a murder.
5: Nobody should die in jail!
1: This week, investigative reporter A.J. Legault from Care 11 in Minneapolis tells us about a years-long investigation into medical care behind bars.
3: The issue of medical care behind jail bars seems to be a systemic problem. And it comes down to a lot of jails in states across the country rely on for profit medical providers who would seem to be incentivized to spend as little money as possible.
0: Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. On November 3rd, 2016...
1: A detective from the Clay County Jail in Minnesota called the parents of 19-year-old Abby Rudolph. She became ill today while she was in the jail. Abby had been behind bars for less than a week, accused of attempted shoplifting at a local hardware store. But four days after she was taken into custody, Abby died inside an ambulance in the jail parking lot shortly after collapsing in the shower.
5: I'm sorry for your
1: loss. Um, but right, right now we're investigating the death of Abby. Her mother questions the detective about why her daughter didn't get help sooner.
5: Why wasn't the help
3: called earlier? Well,
5: they did. They
1: called right away.
3: You just stated that she, her condition deteriorated. So why wasn't someone called? I was there the other day and she was sick as could be. In
1: fact, Abby called her mother two days before her death. She pleads with her mom not to leave her there. Her mom tells her she wants to take care of her.
4: Don't leave me in here. Don't leave me be alone in a locked room with puke all over me.
5: You're sick. I want to take care of you. I
1: love you, baby girl. I love you, too. But Abby never got the help she needed, even after days of being locked inside a cell and vomiting over and over again. According to records obtained by Care Levin in Minneapolis, Abby lost 17 pounds in just four days. She was going through acute opioid withdrawal. And despite being in a high-risk cell with 24-hour video monitoring and frequent check-ins from guards, she never saw a doctor and never got the medication she needed. Eventually, A.J. Legault, an investigative journalist at CARE 11 in Minneapolis, would look into Abby's death. And along the way, he asked addiction specialist Dr. Kevin Fisella about the case.
3: Are withdrawal deaths in jail needless? By and large, yes. But if they have appropriate uh, protocols in place, uh, these deaths should be... uh, Basically non-existent.
1: Abby's cause of death was initially determined to be acute bronchopneumonia, but a CDC pathology report added to that finding: acute bronchopneumonia with aspiration.
3: That means somebody has uh, is vomiting, and as they're vomiting and coughing, the the vomit goes down their windpipe, gets into their lungs.
1: Abby's family would file a lawsuit stating she was denied her constitutional right to adequate medical care. Family attorney Colin Peterson.
2: She just became progressively sicker and sicker and sicker, and nobody did anything about it. The failures really came from the fact that even though these symptoms were being observed, they weren't being documented.
1: But AJ's investigation doesn't end with Abby's death. In the summer of 2020, he learned about another case, another Minnesota jail death that had taken place in 2018. The victim's name was Hardell Sherrill. The healthy 27-year-old man had been arrested on a probation violation and transferred from another jail.
3: Hardell Sherrill walks into the Beltrami County Jail in August of 2018. Video shows him walk in, joking with the guards. He appears perfectly healthy. But it's not long
1: before Hardell's condition took a turn for the worse.
3: He starts experiencing strange physical symptoms, tingling. His, his legs uh, seem to be giving out on him, and he starts having trouble swallowing, and he's begging for care.
1: At least one attempt is made to get Hardell to a hospital, but that doesn't go anywhere.
3: When Hardell started experiencing some really bizarre symptoms, uh, a nurse at the jail calls the jail doctor, Dr. Leonard, and explains what's going on. Dr. Leonard says, okay, send him to the hospital. The jail administrator then overrules the jail doctor, saying he's not going to the hospital, and no one ever questions that. The jail administrator, for some reason, claimed that Hardell was an escape risk, although he had no history of trying to escape. And in fact, was due in court in a few days where he most likely would have been able to get out of jail on a bail or bond of some sort. After that, a day or two passes, and this nurse practitioner, her name is Stephanie Lundblatt, and what she did is incredible.
4: When I went into that cell, um, I first was overwhelmed with just the stench And he was covered in sweat and urine. He was wearing a diaper, and uh, the urine had soaked through the diaper. He couldn't move his legs. He had uh, tears coming down his face.
3: Did this look like a man who was faking?
4: No. It looked like a man that was suffering, and that was sick, that was dying. He was pleading for his life.
3: Could he even stand up?
4: He couldn't even stand up He could barely talk. I knew that if he didn't receive medical care immediately, um, that he probably wouldn't make it. And she
3: sees what's going on with Hardell. She overrules jail administration and says, no, this man's going to the hospital and he's going now. Hardell gets sent to a hospital. And while he's there, there's evidence that jail guards told the emergency room doctor that he was malingering, that he was faking it. And that seemed to influence the ER doc, who then just diagnoses him with malingering, but says, if these symptoms get worse, you need to get him back to the hospital. That's what's on the discharge papers. And it lists the number of symptoms. And each and every one of those symptoms got worse. And Hardell never got sent back to the hospital. In fact, now there's evidence that nurses at the jail, once he got sent back there, never even did a workup on him, never checked his vital stats as he lay there on the floor of that jail cell, covered in his own urine, his own feces at times, begging for care, and slowly died.
4: We treat animals that are in kennels better than he was being treated.
3: It looks like jail staff and many of the nurses and the jail doctor seem to think Hardell was just faking his illness.
1: But there was nothing fake about what was happening to Hardell Sherrill.
3: The video from the Beltrami County Jail is just a blow to the soul. You can just see this man lying on his floor, unable to use his legs just suffering. Hardell Sherrill never saw a doctor again.
1: And he died a day later on the jail cell floor.
3: It turns out Hardell died from what's known as Guillain-Barre syndrome. And while it's somewhat rare, it's also pretty well known in the medical community. The symptoms and the signs were there. And so medical professionals we've consulted with as we looked at the case said it, it should have been obvious that this was a diagnosis that needed to at least be considered. But Hardell never got to see the jail doctor who was being paid taxpayer dollars to provide care in that jail. As
1: A.J. Legault had come to learn, there was a common factor between Abby's death in 2016 and Hardell Sherrill's in 2018. In fact, there was a common factor across 25 other jail deaths that had taken place since 2015 in Minnesota and neighboring states. A company called MEND provided medical care across those facilities.
3: MEND is a for-profit jail medical company. They contract with jails or potentially prisons to provide medical care to people that are incarcerated. And they have just one doctor. That's what our investigation found. Just one doctor for at any given moment, up to 7,000 jail inmates. So one doctor for potentially 7,000 inmates on any given day across the state. And MEND has now moved into Wisconsin and Illinois, one of the Dakotas. Um, so they're, they've they been expanding. What we found was MEND has been receiving multi-million dollar jail medical contracts. In some cases, these contracts were awarded based on false information. The contracts would request information about prior lawsuits and deaths. And we'd go through and notice that they weren't disclosing, in some cases, multi-million dollar lawsuits that they'd settled related to inmates passing away on their watch. And we started finding death after death and often lawsuit after lawsuit related to death where this company had to pay out an awful lot of money over allegations of negligent care. And when we started really taking a look at the facts in many of these cases, uh, what we found was just unbelievable.
1: The owner, CEO, and at times the only doctor working for MEND is Dr. Todd Leonard.
3: Has a checkered history. He's had his medical license dinged more than a decade ago by the state for unethical practices is what the records show.
1: A.J., in fact, reached out to a sheriff at one of the jails where men provided medical care and asked if he was aware of Dr. Leonard's licensing issues.
3: Olmsted County Sheriff Kevin Torgerson has a contract with men to provide healthcare at his jail. When Dr. Leonard bid on that contract, he was asked a series of questions, including, have any current staff ever had their license suspended, revoked, or put on conditional status? Dr. Leonard answered, I'm pleased to share that our staff have never had any of those disciplinary situations develop while performing their duties and services for our company. What Dr. Leonard didn't disclose is from 2011 to 2013, his own license was restricted and conditioned by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice based upon his unethical and unprofessional conduct, failure to maintain adequate medical records and inappropriate prescribing practices. Do you believe this to be a material misrepresentation on this public contract?
4: I think it, it certainly draws it into question.
3: In an email to Carol Levin, Dr. Leonard stated he assumed that the question applied only to staff working on a daily and direct basis with Olmstead County and is thus accurate. The contract documents list Dr. Leonard as Olmsted's medical director and only doctor. Sadly, this case with Hardell Sherrill is not an isolated one. One of the things we found in this investigation that was really uh, eyebrow-lifting, if you will, was that MEND has copyrighted its own suicide screening forms, a risk assessment that someone would take when they're booked into a jail where MEND provides the medical care. The scores on these suicide risk screenings appear to be arbitrary. Dr. Leonard, in numerous depositions, just says he can't recall how he came up with the forms, how he decided that this score was this magic score where you would get to see a mental health provider or a doctor. Yet these forms, they've been copyrighted by MEND. So it really raises a lot of questions about whether these forms are simply arbitrary and mean anything at all. Bob Bennett is the attorney doing the deposition. He's won one case and has several active lawsuits against men. So is it a form that men developed itself?
1: I don't remember the specifics of its origin.
3: Why 36? Um,
1: I don't remember the specifics of that conversation.
3: They're basically fictitious forms that we're all supposed to believe mean something. And the scoring system admittedly is not related to the actual risk of suicidality by any medically validated organization or means. At the Beltrami County Jail, there's an ongoing lawsuit brought by Bennett accusing MEND of trying to cover up after a 2017 suicide death. It alleges that after Stephanie Bunker hung herself, a men nurse changed answers on her suicide risk form, lowering her score from 36 to 28. Are you saying records were changed after she died? Yes. from. You need to go see a doctor to you don't need to go see a doctor. In court filings, MEND has denied a cover-up and overall responsibility for Stephanie's death. Stephanie
1: Lundblatt, the nurse practitioner who demanded Hardell Sherrill be taken to a hospital, resigned after learning about his death.
3: And then she files paperwork with the state alleging... Bad medical care. She files complaints with the Department of Corrections and with the state medical board. And that's where we got a lot of the early information that this woman, who was in essence a whistleblower, was raising a lot of concern about the care he received. And she said that her boss, Dr. Leonard, told her that she shouldn't jump to conclusions because it could hurt his company and that Hardell probably choked on a sock or something like that.
1: Hardell Cheryl hasn't been forgotten, though. There have been protests and speeches and demands for reform. And leading the way, Hardell's mom.
3: Her name is Delcia Perry, and she's a force to be reckoned with. And she refused to allow her son's death to be swept under the rug. She protested outside the governor's mansion. She protested outside the medical board. She protested outside Men Correctional Care, this private company. Just begging anyone to listen to her. But getting
1: attention for Hardell's story has taken time, years.
3: And as her story started to come out, we were already investigating issues related to men and started to take a deep dive into her story and what happened to her son. And
5: men now. Says me, Hardell. Says me, Hardell There's No doctor who has taken the oath to save lives would allow what happened to my son to
1: happen. Finally, Del Perry is getting results. Just last year, sweeping jail reform legislation was finally passed, named after Hardell. And nurses in Minnesota also made their voices heard.
3: Just a couple months ago, the Union for Nurses in Minnesota, the Minnesota Nursing Association, held a public press conference calling on all jails in the state to reconsider their contracts with men.
1: Last summer, an administrative law judge took up the case. And just last month in January, a ruling finally came down.
3: Hardell's death was, in many ways, initially swept under the rug. That nurse practitioner who filed a complaint with the State Department of Corrections, that complaint got lost and was never mentioned, uh, even though it was sitting in the file. So the state DOC never investigated the death. The Beltrami County Jail, in essence, investigated itself and said there were no problems. And it was this mom, Delshia Perry, who would not let this go. And eventually she got the attention of officials in the state. And then we were reporting on it and, and others were as well on this case. And then the state took another look at it and found major problems from a correctional standpoint. And then uh, the attorney general asked the U.S. attorney, the FBI, to begin investigating. And that's been going on behind the scenes now for at least two years. The jailed doctor at the center of a care 11 investigation into needless deaths
1: behind bars has his medical license suspended today by the state.
3: The Minnesota Board of Medical Practice has indefinitely suspended the license of Dr. Todd Leonard and fined him $30,000.
1: In that ruling, the judge wrote, disciplinary action is not only warranted, but is in the public interest to prevent a tragedy like this from ever reoccurring. This is Hardell's mom, Delshia Perry, reading some of that ruling.
5: The patient entered the county jail on August 24th, 2018, a vibrant seemingly healthy 27-year-old man. He was carried from that same jail nine days later to be laid to rest after having endured days of suffering, begging those responsible for his care, medical providers and correction officers alike, for help that never came. His condition had already been dismissed by his custodians and caregivers. He was a criminal defendant, fiending an illness, not a man, presumed innocent and in desperate need of care. And given their preconceived notions of inmates, no evidence could convince them otherwise. Even in his final hours, as he sat in a wheelchair in filthy scrubs with urine streaming down his legs, his caregivers would not believe him. As he laid unconscious, half naked on the floor of his jail cell, white foam coming from his mouth, they still did not believe him. It took his death to convince medical professionals and jail staff that the patient was not malingering. Given the egregious facts of this case, the administrative law judge recommends that the board impose significant and appropriate discipline against respondents. The judge further urges that the state of Minnesota investigates all who callously disregarded their duty to this man. A tragedy like this should never have occurred, and it must never be allowed to happen again. So hard, so hard to read.
3: Well, Dr. Leonard sent a statement that says, in part, I am profoundly saddened and disappointed by the Minnesota board's decision. This death was a tragedy, but to my core, I believe our care was appropriate, especially given the incredibly rare nature of this patient's condition. We've also just learned that a federal grand jury is investigating this case now. They have issued subpoenas that we have seen so there, there is now a federal investigation going on into what happened with Hardell's death.
1: For now, MEND continues to operate across dozens of jails in Minnesota.
3: Yes, MEND is in at least 48 jails here in Minnesota and some neighboring states as we speak. Dr. Leonard just lost his medical license, but he is still acting as the CEO and owner of MEND. So right away, you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot about whether this company is staying in business or not. We do know that there are a number of counties here in Minnesota that are reconsidering whether they're going to continue utilizing MEND. Several, uh, Beltrami counties, one, Dakota County is another, that have ended their contract with MEND.
1: In the meantime, A.J. Legault at CARE 11 says they'll keep on digging and continuing to investigate.
3: I think a real key point here is that while a lot of attention has been focused on Hardell's death, the reform legislation here in Minnesota is now called the Hardell-Sherrill Act. There are a number of other individuals who lost their lives, and it's documented they died preventable deaths because they were denied basic levels of medical care. We're nearly two years into this investigation, and it feels like, it's still going. On a, on a weekly basis, we're looking into issues related to Dr. Leonard, issues related to MEND, and this investigation is far from over.
2: Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, Reed Redmond here to join Will. Will, this episode started with A.J. Legault calling this a systemic issue, saying it's something that isn't unique to Minnesota or to the Midwest or, or to this one healthcare provider. And I was reminded of an episode that we did with Andy Parati at 11 Alive in Atlanta a little while back about a man named Cavill Wingo who died in the Cobb County jail. He was there on a minor charge and begged for hours to be taken to a hospital, saying over and over again that he couldn't breathe. And he ended up not being taken seriously and dying of a perforated ulcer, something that is entirely treatable. And now his kids don't have a father, all because the people that he needed to believe him when he said he couldn't breathe didn't believe him. And unfortunately, that's not all that different of a story from that of Abby Rudolph or Hardell Sherrill, people who told staff that they needed help but weren't believed. Yeah,
1: I was reminded of that case as well, Reed. And this is certainly not just an issue, as you've pointed out. I mean, we have another case that we covered right here on the show. In another state. So it's not just an issue in in Minnesota. Uh, AJ Legault, as you mentioned, also refers to it as a systemic problem. So, you know, we cover a lot of pretty tragic and awful cases here on True Crime Chronicles, and people are behind bars for a myriad of reasons. In these cases, you know, it it really doesn't matter what they were behind bars for. They deserved the care that they didn't get. Obviously,
2: I do podcasts. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm sure it's not. Always easy to tell when somebody's faking an illness. And I'm sure it happens. But, you know, what I keep coming back to, I want to know what's the worst thing that happens if complaints like this are taken seriously and it turns out that the person was malingering. Maybe they get their vitals checked. Maybe they get taken to a hospital. And then if it turns out they are malingering, nobody dies. Whatever the costs of, you know, that unnecessary medical care are, human life has to outweigh that.
1: Right, I mean, imagine going to see your doctor and they suggest that you're you're feigning illness now, sure, behind bars, there might be a motive for someone to do something like that but but still, they have to be taken seriously, no matter what it
2: seems I had a few questions or things I'm hoping you can clarify with this episode. I want to go back to Abby Rudolph's death. Jail staff were checking in on her, but can you clarify they weren't taking down her symptoms or any actual issues of concern in
1: their notes, right? Well, right. So she was in a uh, a cell that had twenty four hour video monitoring. Guards were required to check in on her, so she was on a medical watch. And to your question about you know were they were they commenting or making notes on on symptoms or what was going on with her, they actually did make notes. But they, and they and they had to do fifteen minute check ins, so they were regularly checking in on her. But by and large, every single time they made a note about her condition. They wrote, okay. Um, and, and it's really just tragic to think about. There was, you know, A.J. A- 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 Legault looked carefully at the video and when the notes were made, and in one case, two minutes after vomiting on the video, that he could see uh, a guard wrote, okay, when she went in, or he or she went in to check on Abby Rudolph. There was only one time, it was at 2 a.m. on November the 3rd, when a, uh, a jail guard wrote in the comments section, removed vomit bag and gave water. So there was you know, at least some some mention of the fact that Abby Rudolph had been vomiting, but she was vomiting over and over again for 42 hours as she was detoxing from heroin. The sheet that they were checking on or that they were making notes on actually stated that she was detoxing from heroin. So it's not like they weren't checking in. It's it, it, One of the failures here appears to be the fact that they just weren't making any mention of the fact that she was as sick as she was. That
2: brings up another question I had. In some of these cases and in the lawsuits that have been filed, what AJ is saying is that it's not always just MEND, this this healthcare company that's being named. Jails and jail staff might be involved. Right, and
1: we don't have all the specifics on lawsuits that have been settled out of court or that are still ongoing involving MEND and in jails in Minnesota. But you look at the case of Abby Rudolph, we'll, we'll go back to that one, where you know guards were checking in on her and then not commenting on her condition. And actually, I should mention, in the case of Abby Rudolph, there were inmates in that cell who passed a note along to guards saying that they were uh, worried about Abby and that she needed help. So, you know, in that case, the failures don't just point to mend. If a nurse or someone on the medical staff doesn't know that someone is sick— then you know, that's part of the, the, the failures in communication where someone isn't getting the help they need. So as this goes to a federal grand jury, the judge wrote in her ruling you know, even that, 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 that she believes anyone who came into contact or, or touched these cases needs to be investigated.
2: Well, one last thing I wanted to ask about. On this episode, we didn't hear directly from Todd
1: Leonard. Has A.J. Legault or anyone at CARE 11 been able to reach him? Carol Levin reached out numerous times to Dr. Todd Leonard asking for an interview. He declined. There is a report from last year where they are, are covering a, a deposition and they actually ask him questions outside of the courtroom. And you see Dr. Todd Leonard walking away, clearly just you know, refusing to answer any questions. So we hear briefly in this episode from Dr. Leonard audio from a deposition, but that's the only time that we've really heard uh, from him directly his voice directly care 11 has not been able to speak with him all right thank you will and thanks to aj Lego at care 11
2: my hometown station for bringing us this story their full investigation can be found at care11.com
1: and if you haven't already check out vault studios new show killer cases we have new episodes launching on wednesday february 16th and more to come after that on a weekly basis so uh, go ahead and follow subscribe wherever you listen to podcast today we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story